Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. And this week, you are listening to the bonus episode of this podcast. And I'm very excited to have a guest on the bonus episode this week, Rachel Bullman. And she's going to share a little bit at the end about an article I found on Word on Fire. And we'll talk a little bit about what she presented, what she wrote about in that article. One of my ideas for these bonus episodes has been to maybe introduce a a guest or a co-host to it. And so this is kind of just the experiment of bringing someone on to talk about some of the different tweets, but also to talk about something that they wrote. I don't know what a bonus episode will look like next weekend. Maybe it'll be back to the monologue, but here we have a treat this week as we discuss with her. And as Rachel is new to the show here on How They Love Mary, maybe can you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and... Um, eventually we'll talk about your article at the very end too. Sure. I'm Rachel Bullman. And as, as you said, obviously, but I am married and have five children, one in heaven, four here on earth. And I just work to keep everybody alive and happy. And one of the ways that I'm able to do that is through writing and speaking. Um, been writing for a bit with Word on Fire, write a little bit over at catholicmom.com. And I'm working on my first book, which will be about becoming a wife. And that's really me in a nutshell. <laughs> and who's going to publish this new book of yours? Do you have a publisher that's gonna yet? It's going to be with our Sunday visitor, OSB. Well, wonderful. I'm sure that people will look forward to having that. And maybe we'll have you as a guest on How They Love Mary to talk about you being a wife. And we look uh, to Mary, who was the wife of Joseph, of yeah. course, and, and maybe to see some parallels there even uh, with that. Oh, yeah. She is, she is going to be guiding a lot of the themes in there. So. Well, congratulations on the book deal and uh, blessings to you as you start writing that book. This past Saturday was the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary. Of course, whenever you have a Marian feast day, there's always lots of people sharing their takes, their tweets about it. I know I always try to get in on the game to share a reflection about Mary on the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary. So here are some uh, tweets that I came across. One of the tweets I saw was from Father Lawrence Liu, handle at Lawrence OP, and he kind of gave the historical context for the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary. He said, celebrating the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary, the 12th of September, which recalls the victory at the Battle of Vienna in 1683. He posted an image along with his tweet. This gold embroidered altar frontal with Our Lady's name is from Notre Dame du Sablon in Brussels. May she pray for us. Kind of, uh, I think that's a a good reminder that Mary, uh, this feast day comes from a battle, the Battle of Vienna. There are other feast days that we have too. Uh, Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7th, Mm -hmm. the victory of Battle of Lepanto. And that's why we call it Our Lady of Victories or Our Lady of the Rosary. So Mary has been invoked in all of these different times, especially uh, in battle for the sake of Christianity. But of course, we call her the Queen of Peace, too, thinking of her name and her many different titles. Yeah, it's beautiful. And that altar, the picture that he put up is gorgeous. Uh, Alexis Walkenstein, and Alexis was a guest a, a few weeks ago on the show. She said, her name means star of the sea, no doubt the star of this sea, which is in the world. Therefore, we ought to lift up our eyes to the star that has appeared on earth today in order that she may lead us, in order that she may enlighten us, in order that she may show us these steps. This is probably, I think, one of the most popular titles of Our Lady is actually Star of the Sea. 
Sister Bethany was the second guest, the first being myself, doing kind of the introduction to the podcast, How They Love Mary. But Sister Bethany, back a year and a half ago already, had a tweet about Star of the Sea, and we kind of just talked about how that title showed up in her devotional life. It's a very early wow. uh, episode of the podcast. But when I go through the Marian profile with all the different guests, I always say, what's your favorite title of Mary? And I've been actually compiling these Marian profiles. I've gone through now and I've listened to all but eight right now of all the episodes, listening to the last 10 minutes, compiling these names and that people say. And often Star of the Sea is one of those names. And, wow. and really, Mary is the star. She's leading us. She's guiding us to the kingdom of heaven. Definitely, and such a beautiful thing. And I, I know that I'm in Florida, and so there's a lot of sea around me. So that is definitely one of the names that I see frequently around here is Our Lady Star of the Sea. In uh, Canada, in Montreal, there's actually a church, Notre Dame de Bon Secours. I'm familiar with it because of my work with the devotion to Our Lady of Good Help, which Bon Secours translates to. But it's right there on the St. Lawrence Seaway. And the idea is, is that they have this huge statue of Mary. And the mariners, as they would come to port, would see the statue of Our Lady and they would know that they're close to where they need to be. And if you go wow. inside that church, they have ship replicas in which then the sailors came and they said, here, we give this as a token and gratitude for Mary guiding us, for Mary interceding for us uh, along wow. our trek and our journey. That's beautiful. And then Father Willie Raymond, who is a Holy Cross father uh, out there in Massachusetts, he tweeted this, Today is the Holy Name of Mary Memorial. Her name fills all hearts with love for the Holy Mother of all believers entrusted to us by her Son at the foot of the cross. O Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. There is something about repeating the name of your mother. Now, we often will probably just say, Blessed Mother or Our Lady. Or when we talk about our earthly moms, we'll call, the, call her mom or mama or whatever. But there's a sense of comfort when we turn to our mother in earth or maybe our mother in heaven, Our Lady, or even if our mothers have gone to their eternal rest. There's a comfort about invoking their name, of saying their name, that the mother's name does bring comfort, I think. That name definitely does bring bring comfort. You know, I my husband is in formation for the permanent diaconate, and one of the questions that we had in our interview was along the lines of of one of the one of the rules, I guess you could say, of the permanent diaconate is if something happened to me, that he could not remarry. And so one of the interviewers said, "Wouldn't you want your children to have another mother?" It was kind of a strange way to to ask the question, but I remember just immediately thinking and telling them they they do have another mother. And I said, my kids are very well aware that I'm their earthly mother, but they have a heavenly mother who is with them far more than I am. And so there's definite comfort in, in knowing that. Kind of reminds me of the story of John Paul II, that after his mother dies, he goes to the altar of Our Lady and says to her in a prayer, well, you must be my mother now. And that's just a beautiful sentiment of, of who Mary is, that she is the mm -hmm. mother of all believers, and that's who she is for us. One of my own personal reflections on the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary, and the first was actually just thinking about Jesus saying the name of Mary in the home at Nazareth. That was one of my points of reflection early in the morning that day. 
But then as I prayed the rosary later that night, uh, I was out at the grotto at my church. We have a very beautiful Lourdes grotto in our cemetery. And so I went there, I prayed the rosary, and there's actually little statues and alcoves along the Lourdes grotto built into the rock. And there was a statue of St. Anne and the child Mary. And that Hmm. then made me begin thinking about how Mary's parents called her that name, how they called her Mary all throughout raising her. And then Mary is given to us at the foot of the cross as the mother of all believers. But her name was already being repeated by her family long before us, 2,000 years later, would begin invoking it as a form of intercession. And there's something about the name of Mary that when we pray, Holy Mary, Mother of God, well, when we ask her, when we call her by name to pray for us, well, that's what she does. When we ask her to provide good help, to come to our aid, well, that's what she does. And and right. so calling her name, in a sense, helps us get her attention. Right. And, and as a mother myself, you know, I, I think there are definite days where my name is called so much. And I think, oh, man. I had a dollar for every time. But I also know just this this sense of entrusting that my kids know that when they yell out for me that I will come, I will be there to fill up their, their juice bottles, I will be there if they skin their knee, they know that, that they can al- always reach out to me at any time. And it's amazing to know that it's the same kind of relationship that we have with our Blessed Mother although more intimate, more profound. September 14th was the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. And it's kind of interesting. And there was one year, actually, that for whatever reason, because of the way the calendar was, September 8th, September 12th, and September 14th all fell in a way in which really these feasts wouldn't have been celebrated. That maybe September 8th was a Sunday, the 12th was a Saturday, and then the 14th was... Whatever. However it happened, I just remembered that three Marian feast days happened and they could have been quickly missed or ignored because of the way the liturgical calendar was. And we have these great feasts during the month of September. Mary's birthday, her nativity. Then we have the Feast of the Holy Name, as we talked about. And then we have Our Lady of Sorrows, which is this twin feast. On the 15th, we have the Our Lady of Sorrows. On the 14th, the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And to put them together, that there Mary was at the foot of the cross, and we honor her sorrows then on the 15th. Bishop Burbage uh, tweeted this, Like Mary, we experience great sorrow as we watch the sufferings of those we love. We assist them as we stand by them in their time of need, and most importantly, as we entrust them to Mary's gentle care and the healing love of her blessed son, Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. Just uh, one of those things, one of those realities that when we look and see suffering in the world, we see someone who is dying, that often we invoke the intercession of Mary. When a lot of people on this podcast, as I've been re-listening to those Marian profiles, they'll say, I pray a memorari as kind of my go-to prayer in case of an emergency. When I see something bad happen, they turn to the memorari. And we see then that Our Lady who suffers, well, now she's... She can identify with us in our suffering, and because she can see that, because she understands suffering, well, then she becomes even greater of an intercessor for us. Yes. I can't I can't even get into, I, I will, I know, eventually as we continue talking, but just how much uh, this image of Our Lady of Sorrows and 
and what she invokes for us as someone who suffers not only for us but also suffers with us it's it's an extremely powerful image and relationship that she tries to invoke with us and whether or not we're willing to to see that is really beautiful and in just two more tweets, we're going to talk about that article that you wrote. Mm-hmm. And I can't <laughs> wait to do so because it was a very beautiful article and uh, one that's very timely, one that's very important. Father Aquinas, who's a Dominican out there in Washington, D.C., says, Today the church commemorates the Virgin Mary under the title Our Lady of Sorrows. As the first of her son's disciples, Mary stood closest to him on Calvary. There, reversing the curse of Eve, she offered her son's sacrifice to the Father on the altar of her sinless sorrow. It's a very deep, a very rich theological reflection that he gave to call to mind that Mary is the first of disciples. That's one thing. But then to look at this new Eve parallel, that there Mary was, Jesus, the new Adam on the cross, that in the Garden of, uh, in the garden of Eden, there they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that brings sin and disorder into the world. But now you have the new Adam dying on the cross. And just as Eve was there in the garden at that time, so Mary is next to this new tree of life uh, that Mary is there as the new Eve. So uh, a very rich uh, theological reflection on Our Lady of Sorrows. And then lastly, Barb. uh, I'm not even going to try to say her last name. It's Polish. Her handle is at Franciscan Mom. Uh, she's one of the, you might know her because you, if you're doing some writing for Catholic yes. Mom, uh, she's one of the editors over at Catholic Mom. I know. Yes, we email quite a bit. But you probably don't know how to say her last name either. I do not know, and I won't try either. <laughs> she tweeted this picture of her grandma's Our Lady of Sorrows chaplet. Prayed today in her memory, she said, the medals are worn from her fingers and even a little bent from the frequent pressure of prayers. Actually, yesterday, or actually, well, scratch that. On the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, I prayed myself one of these chaplets of Our Lady of Sorrows, or what is often called the Seven Sorrows Rosary or the Servite Rosary. It's a rosary, a very special rosary, seven different mysteries focusing on the seven sorrows of Mary. There's seven Hail Marys in each decade, so it's not really a decade, but each mystery has seven Hail Marys. And I think that there's something very beautiful about Barb as she prays that Seven Sorrows chaplet on the very beads that one of her ancestors, one of her family members, her mm. grandma that she prayed with. I was going through some of the belongings of my grandmother a few months ago, and she died back in 2010. I was actually looking for some baby pictures, but then I found an envelope that had a rosary, and it was the rosary of like six different generations of people. And I remember on Mother's Day taking it out and praying the rosary on those beads because there's a connection there with the prayers that these people offered. And for Barb to even think, this grandma prayed the seven sorrows chaplet maybe when she was mourning the death of her husband when she was mourning the death of a friend in her life but also that she prayed probably these beads for her for her family for all of the people that she cared about and that she loved mm-hmm. it's a, a very beautiful uh sentiment i think now let's turn to the article uh, that you wrote uh, for word on fire And your article was, Why We Need Our Lady of Sorrows in 2020. Maybe first, what brought you to write the article? What was your inspiration behind it? Well, this one was actually assigned to me. You don't really get too many that are assigned to you. But 
but Elizabeth Scalia reached out to me and she said, you know, what do you think about writing something on on Our Lady of Sorrows for her feast day? And she's reached out to me before for some other Marian writings. And I said, of course. But as I went to, to sit down and write it, it became something so intimate as I was writing it that I was thinking, where are we going to go? And it ended up being in such a beautiful theological place, such a beautiful uh, understanding of anthropology, the human person that I, I really wasn't expecting. But the more and more that that I realized a lot of the reflection had been something that had been coming for years. My son, one of the things that I shared when I shared it on my, my Facebook page, I told them that when I became Catholic, I didn't become Catholic until 2008, and I grew up Assemblies of God. And when I was considering converting, the two things that I had a really big hang up on were Mary and confession, you know, reconciliation. Oh, wow. Sure. And so I remember just kind of blindly accepting Mary because in my mind, you know, she's a mother. I can accept her as the mother of, of God. And, but I really didn't develop a relationship with her until much later. But now knowing that this this image of Our Lady of Sorrow is is she's the one who has been chasing me all this time, and so that kind of reflection that came out in the article is something that I think has been stirring in my heart for more than a decade. Sure, and one of the things you mentioned is the kind of the peculiarity of having a devotion to the sorrowful mother. Why would someone want to be devoted to the sorrows of Mary? <laughs> that doesn't seem like the right kind of dimension of devotion or reflection that we should have. So could you comment just a little bit about that? You know, I think when you, you see someone who is uh, melancholic, you know, you, you kind of are off put by someone like that or someone that seems sad. They're not the person that you want to hang out with at the party, right? You definitely don't want to sit around and share all of your woes with them because you look at them and think, wow, you kind of have enough woe. I don't think I need to bring you mine as well. But the beauty of the canonic relationship that I think that our Blessed Mother has with sorrow is that she is sorrowful in such a way that she can receive our sorrow within herself and, and desires it because she loves us, because she loves her son. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. So I think that, that one, of, one of the things that is, is maybe off-putting for people is you see her and you think, I, I can't be close to someone who is sorrowful, but I heard it said so well from a friend that she said, I, I remember thinking the Blessed Mother is not someone that I could get close to because I'm thinking she's, an, she's immaculate. What could she have that could aid me in my brokenness? And then she said, it wasn't until I saw Our Lady of Sorrows that I realized how approachable she actually was. And I think the vulnerability of her own heart is shown there and then is able to receive our own vulnerability as well. One of the things I realized at Mass for the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, and I kind of didn't intend to do this when I celebrated Mass, but of course on that day is the sequence, the Stabat Mater before the Alleluia mm. Mass. And it's optional. It has the words optional right next to it, so you don't <laughs> have to do it. But I chose, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sing it. And I sang all 20 stanzas or however many That's stanzas awesome. there were. But one of the things that really struck me as I chanted it, and typically when you sing the Stabat Mater, you're doing so after one of the stations of the cross. And I realized as going through those different stanzas, it was 
us asking to participate in the suffering of Mary, that our mm. soul and heart might be wounded as her heart and soul were wounded. And there was something about that. It just, I'd encourage people, go back through, look over the Stabat Mater, and to see how it is that we ask to have a share in that suffering that Mary experienced at the foot of the cross. And it was a very powerful experience just to read those words and let them sink in as I sang them before the Alleluia on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. For all of us, why would it be important for us to be familiar with the seven sorrows of Our Lady? Why should we have a devotion to them? I think each one of those gives you an image of her letting go, just this this understanding, not necessarily of um, indifference as much as there is, what is the, the holy example of indifference? Detachment detachment from a situation but also we have to understand that detachment doesn't necessarily mean that there's not sorrow you can be sorrowful and still be detached and so she's going through these these various sorrows knowing that that her son will be ridiculed basically as she hears from Simeon knowing that that her heart will also be pierced but then being able to to let go of that in that moment but to also be sorrowful the flight into Egypt the loss of the child Jesus in the Temple of Jerusalem. And if you go through each of these and you really meditate on them, you're going to find yourself in a place where they have mimicked things in your own life. And not only have they mimicked things in your own life, but maybe you can learn from her holy detachment, but also her holy sorrow to also visit those same places in the same way that she did. Uh, I was thinking back when I was reading through these six sorrows and, and writing through this article the other day, the loss of the child Jesus in the temple. We lost my daughter once. She wasn't in the temple, but she was in the middle of the mall in a playground. We were inside like a Crayola experience thing. They have all these guards at the door and she was gone for what felt like an eternity. It wasn't three days, but it was 10 minutes. And when I got to her, she was completely at peace, completely okay with the fact that she had been missing for however long. But my husband and I are completely shocked. But you immediately had to be absorbed in, into her, out of love for her, out of a detachment to the situation so that you don't alarm her. And so I, I imagine that even though he was older than my daughter was at this time, that Jesus was older, that there was still this moment of knowing and trusting in the providence of, the, of God during this time. That even though, you know, you will find me, I was, I was here in the temple. Why wouldn't you have known that? And I'm sure that there's part of, of the, the genius of our children, too, that, that my daughter was like, I was in the playground. I mean, obviously, that's where I was. But I look back and look at all of these different moments of, of her sorrows, that especially with this devotion, that I know that any person, if you look hard enough, if you sit and you meditate on these long enough, you're going to find yourself amidst those sorrows, and a way to become more intimate with Our Lady. That's one of the things you write. Relating as a mother, so from your own perspective, you're writing a book about being a mother. Relating as a mother, it seems to me that every moment of Mary's sorrow was also a moment of letting go. And I think you can see that in all of these different sorrows of the Blessed Virgin. Kind of when Simeon gives the prophecy of, 
you know, mm. that this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many and a sword shall pierce your heart. Well, that's a sense of letting go of, I don't know what the future holds, but obviously this holy man knows something more than I do. So there's a letting go of, of what we're comfortable with. The flight into Egypt, there's a letting go of the familiarity of ordinary life, of being around family and friends and fleeing for one's life, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. There's the sense of right. letting go, of laying Jesus in the tomb and saying that, well, now my son's life on earth is complete, his, his purpose, why God the Father sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, that this now is fulfilled, uh, that there is this letting go. And uh, of course, we know with the resurrection that there's this reuniting a little bit uh, during, that, the, during those 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension, and ultimately uh, a reunification in the assumption of Mary uh, when Jesus assumes her, takes her body and soul uh, into the kingdom of heaven. So beautiful. Just so many moments to really, and all, I really think that a lot of if not all of the mysteries of the rosary also present that same kind of Marian devotion, just this this understanding that we have to be detached, that every moment of holiness is is going to be a moment that invites us to a detachment to divine, like abandonment to divine providence. The title of your article, Mary, Why We Need Our Lady of Sorrows in 2020. You kind of write at the very end, you say, mm -hmm. and how relevant is Our Lady of Sorrows in this Anus horribilis. Um, hopefully my Latin was okay there. That is 2020. It Great. translates this horrible year of 2020 yeah. where every scroll down, every feed, every news flash, and every headline screams of the roiling sorrow of the world. So we know, I, I think anybody who's lived through this year of 2020, we've had the hurricanes. That moves us to sorrow. We might know people that live in Lake Charles. Many people on social media are familiar with Katie Prejean McGrady and how she lives in Lake Charles, and that was devastating for their community down there. We have the coronavirus, and we think of all of the people dying from the coronavirus, and so there is sorrow there. People are mourning. People are mourning over the fact that their life isn't the same right now, that they can't just go and do whatever it is that they want, that there are restrictions. So, so it is a horrible year. But yet, maybe this Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows is one that we can look to now. And uh, maybe it is why we need it right now, yeah. this feast, to be reminded of kind of a spiritual reality, to give a reflection to what is happening in the world, but to look at it through the eyes of faith and through a spiritual lens. So why is it that this devotion is so needed, appropriate for us to look at Our Lady of Sorrows right now? I think that even gazing upon any image of Our Lady of Sorrows, if you, if you see an image of her with the daggers in her heart, looking at the Pieta, looking at just her face of sorrow at any moment during in, in these moments of letting go, you're going to find someone who is suffering with you in 2020. Someone who offers you not only her mantle, but offers you her heart. And her heart is a way to pass through and be with her son. And I think that if we are going to sit here and try to figure out, you know, how, how can I have a greater devotion to Our Lady during this time? You can sit with, with her tears, and you can sit with her pierced heart, and you can know that every moment of your sorrow has been enveloped in the moments of her sorrow. That's one of the parenthetical statements in Luke's Gospel when Simeon makes the prophecy 
in some versions, it's not in all versions of the Bible, but it says that a sword of sorrow will pierce your heart so that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. So that's mm. w- one of the parenthetical uh, additions uh, that do- I don't think is in all of the Bibles, because I know I included it one time in a book I wrote, and the editor brought it back to me and said, I don't right. know if this is right. And I'm like, no, here it is. Here's, <laughs> It's in the Bible right here. But it wasn't in all versions, I don't think. So, hmm. But that's true, that Mary experienced all of these different things. And that's what we have in Jesus, of course. Uh, the letter to the Hebrew says, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, one who was tested and tried in every way except for sin. And uh, just as Jesus experiences the human condition, we have a mother who knows the human condition, who knew what it was to lose a husband, to lose a son, to be a part of something uh, greater in the world through uh, the movement of Christianity, through uh, what Jesus started. I encourage people to check out your article on Word on Fire. They can find it in the show notes uh, for this bonus episode and to really to give a prayerful reading of it and see maybe how is it that during this month of September, which is the month of Our Lady of Sorrows, that you and I, we all can be devoted uh, to Our Lady of Sorrows. And to then also, we know that there are great joys. The Franciscans have the Franciscan uh, Rosary, which is the seven joys of Mary. So maybe we go from yeah. sorrow to joy as well. Uh, Mary is very exhaustive. We can look at so much in her for our meditation and reflection. Maybe if you don't mind, Rachel, I'd like to just ask you the series of rapid fire questions about your own sure. Marian devotion. Uh, build your Marian profile. Do you have a favorite title of Mary? Oddly enough, it is Our Lady of Sorrows. <laughs> sure, it makes sense. How about a, a sacramental that you employ, that you make use of, a favorite sacramental? Our Lady of Guadalupe medal that I wear with me all the time. Beautiful. And then there are lots of prayers to the Blessed Mother. We know that the Hail Mary is a prayer that comes right from the pages of sacred scripture, from the Annunciation, from the Angel's greeting to the Visitation, Elizabeth's greeting. Do you have a favorite Marian prayer that you turn to often? My kids and I, actually, every day we sing the Salve Regina together before they go to bed. That's beautiful. And there's, there's so much peace in that, that prayer. When it comes to praying the rosary, people find it monotonous, repetitive. They might say, I don't know if I'm even praying it right. Do you have a tip to help people pray the rosary better? The rosary is is monotonous. It's monotonous, you know. One of the things that I really love of, that I carry with me from the times when I was Protestant was the fact that you would listen to a song sometimes. You'd be at a concert, and this still happens even within my, my Catholic life. You'll be somewhere, and there's a worship song going on. You start singing this, this same refrain over and over again. Well, eventually, you're not singing that refrain anymore, and you're, you're praying something. Your, your lips might be moving, singing the refrain, but your heart is moved into some other prayer. And so the beauty of you meditating on the rosary is that, yes, it's monotonous, it's repetitive, but the more and more that you say it, the more that those words may be on your lips, but your heart has gone deeper into that, that union with Our Lady, the union with her son, and just an understanding of your prayer life that is going to be opened in a new and beautiful way if you continue, even through what you think is monotony. Do you have a favorite passage of scripture that relates to the Blessed Mother? Oh man, it's got to be the wedding at Cana. Sure. 
Lots of people say that one. How about a favorite Marian apparition? I think I probably know the answer from a previous answer you gave, but... <laughs> Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe. One of the... Here in Florida, we have the cause for the Florida martyrs that is going to be... It's actually already opened up, and so they're in the process of hopefully bringing, bringing them for canonization. And it's, um, it will eventually be St. An- Antonio Quipa, if, if, if the Lord would see fit. And San Antonio Quipa, when he was dying on the cross, uh, and this was actually before Our Lady of Guadalupe had been promulgated to them. Now, these were Algonquin Indians in North Florida. He's dying, being burned at the stake on the cross. And he says to the Indians around him, be at peace. Our Lady of the Mistoji is with us. Wow. So... He saw her there, and that's written in the papers and all of the the, the information about them that, that's forthcoming. So she has come over here to my great state of Florida and helped us. So Our Lady of Guadalupe. It sounds sure. like you have a great article that you could publish <laughs> about that story at some point to reflect yes. on that at greater length. How about a favorite Marian shrine? Some of these apparition sites, of course, are Marian shrines themselves, but there are different titles. You talk about being in Florida. My favorite Marian shrine, one of them is Our Lady of La Leche in St. Augustine. (laughs) And uh, so uh, just because I I believe that one of my charisms and intercessory prayer has been to pray for couples struggling to conceive. And and, uh, there have been people that I've prayed for that they've actually conceived uh, as I've gone to that shrine and prayed there or as I've prayed in the Holy Land. So do you have a a Marian shrine that either (laughs) you've been to that you like or one that you hope to make it to one day? You know, I don't want to copy you, but that's it. Our Lady of La Leche. You know, my husband and I are, are blessed enough that we have had a lot of young adults come into our home. And right now, out of the young adult community that's been in our home, there have been, now there will be three children that have been born through different different couples that have come about just from the young adult ministry. And every time that one of them is with child, I always give them a bracelet that has St. Gerard and also Our Lady of La Leche. Sure. And that same group of young adults has also made a pilgrimage to Our Lady of La Leche about three summers ago together. Can you recommend a book about the Blessed Virgin Mary for people to read? Oh, man. One book? <laughs> you could do two so, if you want. Okay, two. So if I had to do two, it would definitely be Joseph Ratzinger's Daughter of Zion, and the other one would be Adrian von Spire's Handmaid of the Lord. Those are two that have formed a lot of my spirituality and will, con- you know, are, are a lot that have contributed to the thought that are going to be in my book. Beautiful. And just lastly, when you go on a Marian feast day, if you went on Mary's nativity or on the feast of the Holy Name or Our Lady of Sorrows, is there a, a Marian song that you would hope that would be sung at mass that day? <laughs> so this is super cliche, but coming from the kind of background that I've come from, it is always will be Ave Maria. When it is done well and done beautifully, there is not a moment that I will not cry the entire time. So, <laughs> Yes, it's one of those very beautiful songs. And when you hear it at a wedding, when you hear it at a funeral, when you just hear it uh, whenever, uh, it's always something that 
moves us to prayer. And it's actually a beloved song, not only of Catholics, but Protestants really like hearing mm-hmm. Ave Maria too. And only if they knew that it's a prayer, the Hail Mary, <laughs> that Catholics pray all the time asking Mary's intercession. Yes. Well, Rachel, I thank you so much for joining me today to talk a little bit about some of those earlier tweets, but most importantly, to talk about your wonderful article on Word on Fire. If people want to find you on social media, how can they do so? All of my handles are the same, Rachel Bullman. So that's the same for Twitter, for Facebook, and for Instagram, just to put make it a little bit easier for everybody. <laughs> Very good. And I'll put links to them also in the show notes. So thanks so much for being with me today. And uh, hopefully you'll write something else on the Blessed Mother. Yes. And I'll have you back real soon. Great. Thank you so much, Father. You have been listening to a bonus episode of the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you like this podcast, please rate it. Please review it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. And if you don't mind, please share it on social media as well. Until next time, let us remain united in prayer. To Jesus, through Mary, God bless. Thank you.